Um, I am super, super, duper excited um, this week. Uh, well, first, Daryl, thank you for last week. I'm thankful for a lot of things now. Okay, so thank you. Um, no, uh, Sierra and I have just, over the last year, months, whatever, um, are just really in love with you guys. We just, we love, um, we love gathering with you on Sunday uh, in our home groups on, on Wednesday. And so I just have, my heart is full of love, as you can tell. Um, and, and then I had an awesome week reading the Bible, which is not how it is every week. But some weeks you read the Bible and it's just, yes, you know. Um, so this is one of those weeks. So uh, hopefully I can convey that to you. Verse 5, in the days of King Herod of Judea. There was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, and both were righteous in God's sight. They were living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord, but they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were well along in years. This is God's word. So just real uh, simple outline today. Three points about righteousness. One, the righteousness that God's people receive by grace through faith. The righteous way that we are to live um, even in difficulty. Okay. And then third, the fuel for righteous living. Okay. God doesn't say live righteously. Go for it by yourself. He actually gives fuel and and power um, for that thing. Okay. So three, three things. Good. All right. First, righteousness is received by grace through faith. Verse six, they were righteous, Zechariah and Elizabeth, in God's sight. They were living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. Okay, so Zechariah and Elizabeth, if you're reading your Bible, are righteous. Your Bible says the same thing mine says. Okay, I just want to. And, and uh, that might grate on our Protestant ears uh, a little bit, because whether you know it or not, we are all children of, of the Reformation, which is a good thing. OK, I think the Reformation was a good thing. And so when we read Luke chapter one, verse six, uh, again, whether you know it or not, you have Lutheran spidey senses that tingle. OK, oh, that sounds like works. That sounds you know what I mean? Like it's. All right. And, and so you, you read this and you think, well, what about Psalm 14? What, what about Psalm 53? What about Romans 3? There is no one righteous, not one. Right. That's a good Protestant reformed instinct that you're born with, that you have. But then we start to read our Bible and we find out there's more righteous people in here than you think. OK, and it, it's kind of shocking just in Genesis. Again, obviously, there's a lot of wickedness in Genesis, but righteous people just keep popping up everywhere. And they're all righteous in the same way, by grace, through faith. So you know the story of of Cain and Abel, right? Okay. One brother killed the other one. And that's like how the human race is getting its start. Okay. So Cain and Abel, 1 John 3, verse 12, he writes to the church, We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, of the generation of the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Okay, so why were Abel's deeds considered righteous? Is it because Abel was sinless? No, son of Adam, right? Not because he's sinless. Here, here's how Abel is counted 
righteous. Hebrews 11.4, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice. By faith, he does this. Then Cain, through which he was commended as... That's what my Bible says. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So Abel still speaks, um, reveals, models the pathway to being commended as righteous by grace through faith. That's Genesis 4, right? We're right at the start of, of the story here. Genesis 5, next chapter, Enoch walked with God and then he was not. Right? Just gone. All right. Because God took him. Why was Enoch considered righteous? Hebrews eleven five by faith. Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. So walked with God and having pleased God connotate righteousness. And we know this because of how Noah is described. Genesis six. We're just rolling through um, the beginning. Genesis six. Noah was a what kind of man? He's a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah, just like Enoch before him, walked with God, which means Noah walked according to faith. Noah walked according to trusting that God and God's words are trustworthy and they're reliable. God says something and Noah says, I'm going to trust that. I'm going to go with that, that God is reliable and faithful and true. Job, Job, and I'm putting Job after Noah before Abraham, I think. Job, a man that was blameless and upright or righteous, one who feared God, which we'll get to Cornelius later, and turned away from evil. Job, a righteous man. Second Peter, and this one really blew my category. Second Peter calls Lot righteous with a righteous soul. And I don't have time to tell the whole Lot story, but you can read it in Genesis 19. And you know what you'll find in the Lot story? A lot of weirdness, but also <laughs> also that God that Lot counted Lot as righteous not because he was sinless, obviously, but because he trusted in God by grace through faith. And we we could say more. I mean, that's just we're just in Genesis. Here, But moving to the time of Jesus and, and these people who are counted, credited, reckoned, commended as righteous are, are, are by grace through faith. They just keep popping up. So we know about John the Baptist's parents. We just read that one, Zechariah and Elizabeth. What about Jesus' parents? Matthew one nineteen. her husband Joseph was what kind of man? A righteous man. Luke chapter 2, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon and this man was... Righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation, the restoration of Israel. Luke 23, Joseph of Arimathea who gives his tomb to our Lord. There was a good and righteous man named Joseph, a Pharisee, if you want to blow your categories up even more, okay, who was looking forward to the kingdom of God. And then to just mess everything up, even Gentiles are given this name. Acts 10, there was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion, and he was a devout man who feared God, like Job did, along with his whole household. So you see, like, righteous people are just popping up everywhere, okay? And so, just to, you know, help our, again, I'm as Protestant as Protestant can be, to be righteous is not to be sinless, okay? Like, it's just not, all right? Because... Only one man did that to to be righteous, to be counted like these people, 
Okay, and and Paul says these things were written for our instruction, right? So that we might walk in them to be righteous is not to be sinless. To be righteous is to with real repentance from the heart, trust in and then appropriate God's provided means of forgiveness. Okay, God's given means trust says I'm going to use those means because you said, okay, so that's what all of these examples are doing. Marilyn is not here, but I'm trying to talk slow. Okay, I'm just I'm I just been super excited. I've gone through two shirts already this morning. So this is number three. Okay. This is what all the examples that that the scripture gives us are doing. They're appropriating by by grace what God has given and through faith, trusting in those things. So Zach and Ellie, they are righteous in God's sight. They're living without blame. Uh, uh, how? It says, according to all the commands and the requirements of the Lord. Okay? I know our our Lutheran spidey senses are going, okay, again. (laughs) They're living according to the Torah. That's what what this means. So so what does that mean? Again, it doesn't mean that they don't sin, all right? If you've been married, you sin, right? Okay? It means that when, when Zechariah and Elizabeth do sin, when they do give in to their flesh, they act in faith. They trust in and count God's words as reliable. And so they act in accordance with what Moses brought down from Sinai, the commands and the requirements of the Lord, which means they turn from sin. They mean not to do it again. Right. That's repentance. Not that I, you know, I sinned. Repentance says I don't want to do that again. If I could go back in time, Lord, I would. I can't. Now I have this provision to be forgiven, almost like I did go back in time and did not sin, right? They mean not to do it again, so they go to the Lord, they go to the temple, they offer the sacrifice, and by faith, they trust that God actually accepts this sacrifice. Okay? Like, put yourself in their shoes. You've sinned against the Lord, the Lord has told you what to do, and so you grab your animal... Right. If you're poor, you grab your doves, you go to the temple, you repent, you offer it to the priest. And then you leave. You know what I mean? Like put yourself in their shoes and you leave and you go, "Okay, God, you said this leads to forgiveness. You said, like, this is no longer counted against me, but you're counting it to the animal and how you've set this thing up to work. So I'm going to go back to work now. Forgiven and righteous and clean and justified as if I'd never sinned? It's faith, okay? This is what's going on. You trust that God reckons their sin and their condemnation to the animal. God forgives the sin and actually reckons, counts, credits them as righteous. This is what the commands and the requirements of the Lord is referring to, that the sacrificial system in the temple, okay? So righteousness is by grace from Genesis 4. To December 4th, okay? 2022, God graciously gave the commands and the requirements to Israel as the means by which sinners can be counted righteous if they repent from the heart, okay? Moses doesn't come down from Sinai like, oh, look at all this stuff we gotta do. Moses comes down from Sinai like, look guys! God has shown us how to be righteous. God has shown us how we can dwell with him, that we're unclean and he is clean. How we can be like the law is good in their eyes. 
This is a pathway to being forgiven and counted righteous. The, the sacrificial system is a gift, but the gift must be received at a heart level. Okay? Like this, again, if you just read through the, the Tanakh, what are the prophets always railing at? Not the sacrificial system itself, but the people are, are not doing it from the heart. Right? I hate all your shows. Okay, Amos five. This is stupid. I don't even. I don't want this stuff. Your bulls and your goats. Ew! It's disgusting. Not, not because it's actually disgusting to God, but because they're not offering it from the heart. The gift must be received at a heart level. So it's not just acting out the different rituals. It, it's heart level. And I don't think I have to do this for you, but are you seeing parallels to us in December in twenty twenty two? It's the same bit. So this is doing it from the heart. This is what separates true righteousness found in Zechariah and Elizabeth from the false righteousness of of the Pharisee group or the circumcision party um, that comes later. Okay, if it's not done from the heart, God doesn't accept it. Okay, you can bring your dove, you can bring your goat. But if it's not coming from the heart, God's not accepting the thing. That person then isn't forgiven. That person isn't counted righteous. The animal doesn't bear their sin. They bear their sin. And should they continue on in that state, they will go to condemnation, okay? They will go to hell. So Psalm 51, again, famous if you grew up in church world. Right after David is confronted by the prophet about his adultery with Bathsheba. Do you guys know this story? David has done a very bad thing. The prophet says, tells a story, says this is a very bad thing. David says, that is a very, very bad thing. That guy should die. And the prophet says, that's you. You should die. And David goes, oh. <laughs> okay, and then we get Psalm 51, which, which is which is great. Okay, and so Psalm 51 is this great example of how Israelites like Zach and Ellie were counted righteous and forgiven when they repent from the heart. Okay, so listen to all the references to to sacrifice and atonement and the temple or tabernacle for David in this psalm. Okay, so verse one: Have mercy on me, O God. According to your your steadfast love, that, that's the, the word hesed, which means according to the covenant. Okay, hesed is faith. God's going to be faithful to what he said in the covenants. According to your abundant mercy, because God's merciful and gracious. This is what he shows Moses, right? Moses goes up on the mountain. He says, show me your glory. He says, I am a God merciful and gracious. Okay, um, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Okay, so. I just slept with my close friend's wife. Not me, David. Okay. <laughs> for, for the recording. All right. <laughs> Got her pregnant. Brought my friend home to get him to sleep with her. So he would be deceived into thinking he's the baby's daddy. Um, but he was too honorable to enjoy the marriage bed while his soldiers were out. So he didn't sleep with her. Is the story getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse? So I sent him to the front of the battle with a bad strategy to purposely get him killed, and it worked. And now he's dead, and I'm a new dad. Okay? So this is the context of Psalm 51. And so, God, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. That is absurd. You know what I mean? Absurd. And so for sinners in the room, by which I mean you... This is very good news that we can talk to God like this. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Behold, you delight in truth. Where? Where's God looking for the truth? 
inward being, right? In, in here, in, in the secret heart, purge me with hyssop. I shall be clean. Wash me. I shall be whiter than snow. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart. Oh God, renew a right spirit. Where? Within me, in in here, right? Because what was evil and, and ugly and gross and sinful and brings death came out of here. I did the bit. I need you to change in in here. He's praying, God, make me righteous according to the means you have provided, right? Washing, purging, cleansing, hyssop, all, all this stuff. According to the means you have provided, wash my sin away. Then David continues, verse 16, for you will not delight in sacrifice. Or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. That's weird, right? Because the whole Old Testament is about these burnt offerings and you're not going to be pleased with it. Because Why? Because that's not the point of this. Okay? Like God's not super into goats and doves. Right? He's super into what's happening here. Played out with goats and doves. Verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise, okay? So the sacrifice, the ritual, the outward act is nothing before God without a real repentant heart. When we come to the table later today, that thing is nothing, okay? It's admittedly better bread recently, right? Okay? And, and some Sundays, non-fermented juice, okay? Some Sundays it is fermented and we just move on. But it's nothing without a real repentant heart before God. It's nothing. Our songs are nothing if it's not done from the heart. Preaching a sermon, hearing a sermon, it's nothing unless it's done from the heart. But with a real repentant heart, okay, God actually accepts the sacrifice, Okay? God actually forgives the sin and God actually counts the person righteous because we stop reading Psalm 51 and verse 17. But David actually keeps talking okay, or singing or whatever he's doing because verse 19 says, Then, after there's a real work in the heart, God actually create in me a clean heart, renew within me a, a steadfast spirit. Then you will delight in the right offering, sacrifices. Okay? In burnt offerings and and whole burnt offerings, then bulls will be offered on your altar. So David is not dismissing the sacrificial system. He just understands this whole thing is useless without real repentance. Because God, again, is not into blood of bulls and goats. He's after the heart. So do you see, like, this is how God relates to humans. This is how he has always related to humans. God has chosen to interact graciously with faith. Okay? Even if you did what David did, by faith and trusting in it, God's like, all right, I'll forgive sin. I'll count you, credit you, righteousness. So righteousness by grace through faith is not some new idea that St. Paul made up, right? <laughs> okay? It, 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 and it's not something Christianity made up to save us from that rigid, legalistic God of Judaism. Righteousness by grace through faith was God's idea, at least from Abel, okay? At least from the beginning. And then was codified on Sinai, right? Just really clearly, here's how it works. And now it has reached its full expression in Jesus' cross, right? 
Like this is how the apostles talk about it. First John four, nine and 10. God's love was revealed among us in this way that God sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice, the propitiation for our sins. Same bit. And, and, and how is sacrifice appropriated the same way it was always appropriated by faith? Romans three, God presented Jesus as the mercy seat by his blood through faith. God presented him. Put him on the altar to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and justify who? The one who has faith in Jesus. The one who puts their their faith in the sacrifice of, of Jesus, who finds their identity in the animal offered. That person, David says, Paul says, will be counted as righteous. Actually, really, not a fiction. This is true. Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So it's saying, I've identified totally with the sacrifice. Because this is what you do. You bring your doves or your goat or whatever. And you say, I'm putting all of myself, all of my sin on this thing. I'm identifying with this thing. So the life that I now live in the body, I live by faith. Faith. In the sacrifice, in the son of God who loved me and gave himself as an offering, as a sacrificial offering, right? This is what Hebrews is, okay? For me, he gave himself for me, Ephesians 2, for you are saved. How? How do you stand righteous before God on that day by grace through faith? And this is not of yourselves, it's God's gift. Just like the sacrifices Abel offered were God's gift, right? Just just like the animals in the temple and the temple system itself were God's gift. You're saved by grace through this gift, not from works so that no one could boast. Okay, does that make sense? All right. It's one story. It's one story telling the same thing over and over and over. God will uh, uh, by grace. God, God treats humans with grace when they respond in faith. He will actually do this. And so the first point that. Oh, that took so long. The first point I want to make today for believers is sure it is for believers. You need this. Luther said beaten to your head continually. Okay, because it's not a first century problem to try and be righteous in other ways. Like we do. Like my problems are a little bit different than than the Galatian problem. But at a heart level, it's basically the same. Okay, you need this beaten to your head continually. By faith, by trusting in God, you're actually counted righteous. And at the day of the Lord, the day of judgment, you will actually stand clean before God. He will say, well done, enter into my joy. Enter into your joy. It's his joy too, I guess. Okay? For believers, you have you, this isn't old or boring. Right? This will fascinate us forever. But to unbelievers this morning, I want to be clear that in spite of whatever your past has been up to this point at 956... Righteousness on the day of the Lord is available to you. Okay? As much as it is to the person sitting next to you. 2 Corinthians 5.10, Paul says, In light of the judgment seat of Christ, for our sake, God made Jesus, this is Joe's favorite scripture, for our sake, God made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Okay? So just as the, the sacrificial animal in the temple was made to be sin on our behalf and on the behalf of the person offering it, so was Jesus made to be sin on behalf of you 
That you might be declared righteous before God. And then 1 Corinthians 1.18. Be guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. So for unbelievers today or, or backslidden people today. If you will trust God. If you will count his words on this matter especially. As true and reliable. That he really does forgive sin. And he really does credit righteousness by faith. You will stand on that day. And you will inherit eternal life. Okay. You... This is this is what will happen. Okay, I'm not a prophet, but this is what will happen. I'm telling you. Okay, so if you have questions about that, I don't know what it means to repent. I don't know what it means to to trust in Jesus and then to follow the hard part, following Jesus in faith. After that, you're sitting next to a member of our church. They can tell you what this looks like. Okay, or you can talk to me or any of our elders after. Okay, all right. That's awesome. Good. Not not what I said, but just. That's awesome. All right. So that that and that that's first. Zechariah and Elizabeth are righteous by grace through faith. You can be too. Okay. Amen. Let's stand. Right. No, I got more to say. You give me a week off, guys. I got to get it all out. Second, Zechariah and Elizabeth and the others mentioned actually lived righteously. Okay. So in following God's ways and precepts, uh, they were obey, especially as Israelites. They were obeying God's demand that they, as the people of God, would live set apart from the patterns of the pagan that the pagan nations gave themselves to, right? Like when you get Israel's law, Moses comes down from Sinai, and then you read about the other cultures around them, it makes a lot more sense. Like, like don't murder your children, Israel. And you read that and you're like, well, yeah. But then you look at the other cultures and they're like all murdering their children. It's like, okay, well. This is going to separate us from them. So the point is that receiving righteousness as a gift by faith entails and leads to actual righteous living. Okay? So Leviticus um, 20, which is part of the commands and requirements of the Lord, they're living according to, says, Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy. Okay? So don't just have right doctrine about the temple and the sacrifice and whatever. Actually walk this thing out in truth. From the heart, for I am the Lord your God, keep my statutes, do them, and when done from the heart, in real faith, I am the Lord who sanctifies you. I'm setting you apart. So, so again, this is the calling of the people of Israel, Zechariah in a special way as a priest, right? He's got more laws than you do. And it's the calling of all the Gentiles, y'all, who would choose to worship the God of Israel. You actually live differently than people who are not following the God of Israel. Does that make sense? We, we are different than them. Okay? Righteousness is given and it's provided. And then righteousness is expected to be walked in. Okay? So it's not, uh, I offered the sacrifice once. Now I go back to living exactly as I did before I offered the sacrifice. No, now it's the life I live. I live by faith in the sacrifice daily. Right. It's not uh, we use this example a lot. It's not the Passover example. I slaughtered the lamb once. I put the blood over my doorpost and now I'm going to go swim in the Nile. No, it's I put that blood over my door by faith and I'm staying in this house until the angel of death passes over. I'm not going to do the thing once and then forget what I did. I'm going to I'm going to stay in the house. So righteousness by faith means starting and finishing. Okay. 
starting and finishing Hebrews 10, if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, the knowledge of the free gift of righteousness in Jesus by faith, if we go on doing that, there's no longer a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Okay, so you've been counted righteous by faith. So keep living righteously by faith. The life you now live, live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you by grace you have been saved. You know what I'm saying? It's the same bit. And so this means we got to do this when it is hard. Okay? You have to do this when it's hard. There is a temptation. There's a draw to decide to walk in faithfulness when everything is going well. Okay? So like just personally, like this week was an easy week. To follow Jesus for me. Like it just my heart was full. My spirit was lit up. I was like alright I'm following Jesus. This is great. And then there's a temptation to not walk in faithfulness. When things aren't going how we would like to. Okay. As if difficult circumstances are grounds to walk in unrighteousness. Okay. Hardship does not give us a day off from walking the narrow path. Okay. Right. I could give lots of examples. But this is a silly sinful game that we play. Right. I had a bad day, so I'm going to indulge in drunkenness. You step back from it and you're like, that's retarded. Okay. But in the moment you're like, yeah, it makes sense. Okay. Right? My wife's not responsive to me, so I'm gonna look at porn. You step back, you're like, that is even more retarded. Okay? But in the moment, that oh, makes sense. Alright. My husband's not responsive to me, okay, so I'm gonna act like a brat towards him. You step back and you're like, that is so Stupid. In the moment, this is my right. This is what I deserve. I had a bad day at work. It's, like, it's okay if I tee off on my kids when I get home. No. <laughs> right here, it's like, oh yeah, this makes total sense. I should live this way. You step back, and you're like, oh, if the, if the cross is real and the day of the Lord is real, that whole game is stupid. But we do it, right? I mean, you know what I mean? Like, we, we make excuses for living however we want to live. And, and I'm saying, the Bible says, Zech and Ellie show us, this is not how the righteous live, okay? They live righteously, not when things are going well, but in the midst of difficulty, okay? So, so in the days of, of King Herod here, they're, they're, not only are they languishing in exile like the rest of Israel, verse 7, they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive. And while this isn't like the point of, of the text, I just want to point out here that this couple still chose the narrow path despite their hardship and circumstances, right? The author of Luke puts these things right together on purpose. They were righteous, things sucked, okay? Puts it right there. So they didn't allow the, the cares of this age, which are hard and horrible things, okay? Like barrenness is, is horrible They didn't let that keep them off the path that leads to life. So when these sorts of trials come your way and you're tempted to justify willful, unrighteous living, remember Zechariah and Elizabeth, okay? Imitate their their example, okay? And I can say more there, but I I just, again, part of the love of being part of this church is, is you younger people. We have models in our older people who have chosen righteousness and chosen faithfulness in the midst of difficulty. And so we don't have to wonder, how do I do it? We just watch them. Okay? So, so you older people who have walked through trials and still stayed on the narrow path, thank you. Thank you. It's worth millions and millions and millions of dollars for us who are watching you.
Okay? Alright, last point here. First, righteousness comes by grace through faith. Second, having been counted righteous, we must actually walk in it. And, and we must do so even when this age is grinding us to powder. Alright? Last point here is what is the fuel that keeps this car running? Okay? And if you've listened to me say anything for the last two and a half years, the answer is that eschatology, hope, the day of the Lord, the resurrection, the age to come, this is what fuels righteous living now. A heart and a mind focused on that day drives righteousness in this day. Okay? And this is actually how, how this sermon came about. So I've, I, I like this story. I've read it, read it a bunch. And I had an idea where I wanted to go. And then I saw Zechariah and Elizabeth were counted as righteous. And again, my Luther inspired it. I was like, huh. <laughs> What's that about? Okay? And so I started looking at all the other people in the Bible that we went through that were counted righteous. Like, why are, why are they living the way that they're living? Okay, and you know, I noticed a pattern in all of them. And you know what the pattern is? All of them had hope in the day of the Lord. All of them had a future looking hope. Almost every person the Bible describes as righteous is a person with the day of the Lord in view. Okay, or just to say it simply, hope drives righteousness. Eschatology drives discipleship. So we're just going to go through these and then we'll pray and sing and and go to class and all the other stuff. Okay? Ready? Abel. One generation removed from the promise of the serpent crushing son. What's he looking for? The arrival of that son, right? He promised mom that this child would come. It's obviously not me. Right? He's, he's looking to his arrival. So Abel lives by faith and walks in righteousness. Hope drove Abel's righteous living. Enoch, seven generations from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 holy ones to execute judgment, to convict ungodly of all their deeds. Eschatology drove Enoch's righteous living. Hope in that day drove righteousness in this day. Noah, I don't have to tell you, but I'm going to. A man, his name in Hebrew communicates rest or relief from the curse. He lives with both the hope of his name and with he lives in view of the flood of judgment to come on the world, right? Do you guys know the story of Noah? All right, there's a big boat, okay? Because <laughs> there's going to be a... Okay. That was a joke. You know the story of Noah, right? I'll tell it if you don't. Okay, you know it. All right, there's a big flood coming, and Noah's looking forward to that day, and Noah is a righteous man in view of that. Eschatology drove his righteous living. Hope drove his righteous living. Job, a man famous for hardship, he withstood the trial and the difficulty and lived righteously because he had a vision for the age to come. Job 19.25, but I know my Redeemer lives, and at the end... He will stand on the dust, even after my skin has been destroyed, yet I will see God in my flesh. Hope drove Job's righteous living. Anna and, and Simeon, Luke 2.25, Simeon is, a righteous and, is, is righteous and devout, and what is he doing? Looking forward to Israel's consolation. Anna, who's not described as righteous, but I'll throw her in here. Anna, a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping, fasting with prayer day and night. And coming up at the very hour, the, the hour that Jesus went up to get circumcised, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Hope 
eschatology drove their righteous living. Joseph of Arimathea, there was a good and righteous man named Joseph who was what? Looking forward to the kingdom of God. Cornelius, Acts 10.34, with Cornelius, eschatology, the fear of God and the judgment to come. This drove his righteous living. So Peter speaks of him, opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him. Like Cornelius and does what is right is acceptable to him on that day. And then finally, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Okay, they're righteous and devout. And what do we find Zechariah doing in this story? I didn't read it at the start. I'll read it now. Verse eight. When his division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God in the temple, it happened that he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and to burn incense. At the hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people was outside praying. Okay, so the incense and the prayers happening inside the temple with Zechariah and with the priesthood outside the temple is not their quiet time. Okay. Zechariah's not in the temple going, um, you know, Lord, I got this bill coming up. Very real. Okay. My pet is sick. Okay. I I just need a touch from you, God. He's not doing that in the temple. And they're not doing that outside of the temple. The prayers inside and outside of the temple are the prayers of redemption. (laughs) Prayers asking God to come and make good on every thing that he has said there there are forward-looking prayers and in the temple and outside the temple they're praying sounds like this our father who's in the heavens sanctify your name let your kingdom come see what i'm saying hope drives righteousness eschatology drives discipleship so if you do not have a vision of the future Positively of of resurrection and negatively of judgment, you're going to have an incredibly hard time to walk in righteousness. Okay, like how do you get children to behave with the promise of reward and punishment? God is we we is like this because God is like this. Okay, but if you fix your gaze on the return of Jesus, on the resurrection of the dead, uh, on that day when all of our tears are. Are wiped away. If you have a vision of the future similar to the men and women we read about today, if you have an eschatology that will drive your righteous living now. Okay? Let's pray. Robert, could you help us, please? Um, So, Father, we are just uh, overwhelmed with thanksgiving for your grace. God, that you did not um, leave us to, to figure this stuff out. On our own, you did not leave us to, to uh, make our own righteousness or make our own way uh, back into fellowship with you. But you have provided the means in the cross and sacrifice of Jesus. We are grateful for it. So God, I ask you for our congregation that we would never move past that. God, that on our worst day, our worst night, we would turn to you in repentance We would offer a sacrifice with a real repentant heart and move on. Leave it there. Press delete. Sign up again. Say yes and walk the narrow path. I ask you, God, that we would have strength to live righteously, 
that you would use the members of, of our church to spur us on on that path. Say, hey, don't go to the right, don't go to the left, stay on the straight and narrow, and by the Spirit we would do it. And I ask, God, that you would give us a vision of the future. You would fill us with hope of what's to come. The resurrection of the dead, God, reunited with those that we've lost. The wiping away of our tears, the restoration of all things. Would this fill our hearts and minds, and would this future drive how we live now? Please do this by your spirit. In the name of Jesus, everyone said, amen. Um, Our elders will be at the front to pray with you about anything or or in response to uh, what we talked about today. If you're not praying with an elder, pray on your robe. Go seek someone out and pray, but this time is for prayer.